John 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also baptizing at Enon near Salem, because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matters of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a man receives only what he is given from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. So we're looking, we've mainly been in the Old Testament looking at various heroes of uh, our faith. And uh, this this morning we're really zooming right into the very time period in the life of Jesus in this uh, uh, book of John and also through the testimony of John the Baptist. Um, What I would like to do is just begin with a statement and let you guys finish it. Jesus was, and he is, I understand that in case somebody's in me. He is, but just go with me on this one. When Jesus was on this earth, he was what? Finish it. Okay, human. Jesus was a teacher. a teacher, priest, priest. Healer. healer, son, son, okay, brother, what's that, brother, brother, friend, friend. Forgiver. King. King. Yep. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Let me ask you guys this. Let me just turn this a little bit. If if you if, if Jesus was living in this neighborhood and we were having these interactions with him, what would you say about this person? How is he? How does he treat you? How does he treat other people? With love. There we go. Good Samaritan. All right. What about the Good Samaritan? Always doing good things. Yeah. We call a random act of kindness. That's good. This is Marshall, by the way. He's from the Druid Heights Community Center. Everybody give Marshall a hand. I like to like really make people feel awkward. <laughs> John, special. special. That's respect. good. Oh, respect. <laughs> <It was> special too. <laughs> what else? Yeah. 
seems different. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Not scared or intimidated. All right. Well, how about courage? Well, if we was in this neighborhood, like and then like something and uh, and things that was going on at this time, and he was just been sitting there talking about, boy, outcast of all of you. That's true. Wow, that's a good one too. Unbiased. I got fit that over. <laughs> we'll just end there because we're filled. We'll, we're filled up. Full of love. Full of love. Do we get love on here yet? Yeah, we got love. Uh, as as we've been going through this series, religion is dead. One thing that we've been pointing to, like every week is that it's all about Jesus. Every one of these stories that we've been looking at from Abram through Paul has been pointing to something much greater than themselves. Uh, when, we, when we think back to Abram, you guys remember the story where Abram is begging God for Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's, he's pleading for these people that, that don't love him, these people that are a, an extremely unlovely people. They're not likable, and he's, he's begging God for them, and he's loving them. And we saw how that was pointing us directly to Christ. We, we talked about uh, Moses and how Moses was begging God, please don't take your presence from us. Please don't remove that dynamic presence, because that's all we've got. All, I mean, it's not about, it wasn't about religion for Moses. It was about this dynamic interaction and this presence with this holy God. And, and for, uh, for David, for him, it wasn't about good works at all, was it? I mean, David was named a man after God's own heart. He had this amazing amount of favor of God just poured out on him. And it wasn't because of his good works. It was because of his repentant heart. It was something just so, so different from religion, so much more than religion. Something greater. Uh, for Hosea. This heart-wrenching story of Hosea where he's, he's told to go and to love his wife who's cheating on him time and time again and to, and to forgive and, and to chase after her. And it pointed us to this relentless love that God has for us in Christ as he, as he pursued us and as he sought us out and as he, as he forgives us time and time again. It wasn't about religion. Um, for, for Paul, in this moment of conversion from Saul, this, this famous conversion in which he fell from power and prestige, lost his power, lost his abilities for the sake of something much greater. And so what we've been pointing out all along is that it hasn't been about religion. Religion has never saved. It's never been about religion. It's always been about something more. And I understand the word religion itself can be kind of, it can have multiple meanings, and I understand that. You know, James actually says pure religion. It's, it's actually the one place that religion is used uh, in a positive light in the whole of the scriptures. James says pure religion is this, that you look after the orphans and care for the widows. So if you define religion as caring for the poor, 
looking up for the widows, belief in God. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, what we've been talking about all along, is this modern critique of religion. This average, you know, you're walking down the street, you ask somebody what they think of religion, and they just dump on you all of this negativity. That's what we're talking about. This, this critique of religion uh, defined through three thinkers, Freud, Marx, and Nietzsche, how, how they have shaped our thinking when it comes to a modern critique on religion. We've defined it as... Um, scared me for a second. <laughs> We've defined it as, uh, barring from Tim Keller's definition, religion is using God to accrue power through performance and result, the result is self, self-righteousness, social exclusion, and a power trip. So that's kind of what we've been attacking is that mentality of religion in which we, we use God and, and we use him through our performance, meaning I do something bad and I feel, I feel bad about it, I feel guilty about it, and so I perform better. I go to church, say, or I pray or I read my Bible, and that just makes me feel better about what I did. That's self-justification. Just using God, using actions, performance to feel better about our sorry state. Or to socially exclude other people, which we're going to look at a little bit today, looking down on other people. Um, Or this general power trip, influence people looking at us. All right, John chapter 3, verse 22. You guys all there? We're going to dive in and we're going to look deeply into this today. But uh, why don't we pray before we do that? God, thank you for this time that we we could gather for these last seven weeks and uh, just journey through these uh, stories that you've preserved for us in the scriptures and how we can uh, uh, just be reminded time and time again that it's never been about religion, but it's always been about something much, much deeper than that. And so we thank you for who you are in our lives. Like God, I pray that as we look into these ancient uh, words that you enlighten us, convict us, Draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 3, verse 22. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John was also baptizing near Anon, near, uh, near Salim, because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. So just a little brief history here in case you're not familiar with it. This is John the Gospel writer talking about John the Baptist, two different Johns. And as we know, John the Baptist Baptist baptized who? Jesus. Jesus. Baptized Jesus himself. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus actually went through this, this ancient uh, ceremonial ritual of baptism. And John baptized him. And now, as Jesus' ministry is developing and people are turning more and more and and more to Jesus, here's John still baptizing people into uh, this this way of repentance, looking forward to this coming one, this coming Messiah. And here's Jesus baptizing as well. And Jesus' disciples baptizing in Jesus' name. And uh, so... What we're about to see here is like this classic example of two ministries where one is growing in popularity and the other is in decline. So, for example, and I've seen this happen, somebody in a church leaves a church 
and they begin something else in the same town or in a near town, and that's beginning to grow in ministry. And what happens in the old ministry? People start to get what? Jealous or scared. What if we lose our status? What if our people go to them? What if we lose our influence in this neighborhood, in this community? And so that's what we're diving into right here. That's kind of the feeling that's being had with John's disciples. So they, they uh, in verse 20, 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. Now, in religious institutions, there will always be arguments over ceremonies and rituals. We haven't done it that way before. That's not the way we do it. Those aren't the right songs to sing. You know, that's not the right way to lead us into worship. That's not the right way to pray. That's not the right way to take communion. We're not supposed to do that. Why? Because we've never done it that way before. These are ceremonial, they're rituals, and in religious institutions, fights always break out over rituals. And lest we believe that we are above and beyond that, because we are this young, cool, hip church, right? And we're never going to, you know, we don't even own an organ. How are we going to fight over the organ? (laughs) Who, in 10 or 15 years from now, who within the garden will be the most susceptible to falling into this religious pattern of arguing over rituals? It'll be those of us in this room right now. I've always led, led this ministry. We've always done it this way. We've always taken communion this way. We've always met this play, at this place. You see what I'm saying? We're all susceptible to this. And so John's, John the Baptist's followers who, who have been baptized into this ministry of repentance, looking forward to this coming one, has now, they've fallen into this religious mindset. Uh, and, and, and so they're arguing about ceremonial, ceremonial traditions and rituals. And they come to John, and they, they came to John in verse 26. And said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. This, I want to tell you what I think is going on here, and you tell me if you think I'm wrong, all right? They, they use the word rabbi right here. This is the only place in the, in the entire gospel where rabbi is used uh, to address anyone other than Jesus. And so this is what I think the, the gospel writer John is pointing out as they're coming to him and they're saying, Rabbi, that man who, by the way, do we all know who that man is that they're talking about? That man who you baptized on the other side of the Jordan, Jesus was baptized on the other side of the Jordan. They're referring to Jesus. He's over there now and he's baptizing people and your people are going to him. You're losing people. You're losing your influence. You're losing your crowd. They're being baptized now into Jesus' ministry. And they're coming to him and they're saying, Rabbi. They're calling him this, this name that people, you know, all throughout the gospel, this gospel of John at least, are, are calling Jesus. And they're saying essentially this. We want you to do something about this. 
You are, you, your power and your prestige is at stake. And you're losing popularity. You're losing people. You're losing influence. Less people are listening to you now. Less people are looking at you now as they once were. And now more and more these people are going over here to Jesus. We want you to do something. What's, what's going on? Was your baptism not good enough? Is your teaching not good enough? Re- religion happens when we begin to believe that our faith is all about us. Religion happens when we begin to believe that our faith is all about us. I get really nervous when I see churches doing this to their pastor. You're you're losing power and prestige. Do you realize this? You need to do something to make sure that your name goes down in history. We need to somehow create something that will forever be a representation of your ministry, of who you are. I get really nervous about this, and I might, you know, step on some toes, but I don't like it when churches put plaques of their pastor's face up on the wall or on the side of the building. Or when a street is named Reverend such and such way. I get nervous about that. Guys, if you ever want to name a street after me, (laughs) I swear I'll cut it down. (laughs) Rabbi, you're losing power and prestige. How can we forever make your name known? You need to do something about this. And I get even more nervous when pastors accept this, or any religious teacher or leader for that matter. Or even when one of you, as you begin to lead something, begin to to get puffed up in what you're doing and you enjoy the spotlight you enjoy the crowds and so here here here's what's happening what i would like to do now is i mean that's kind of like the layout of what's going on what i want to do the rest of our time is focus on john's response john the baptist's response to his own disciples all right And before I do this, let me just say this about religion. One last thing about religion. This won't be the last thing about religion. I just said that. (laughs) But one last thing about religion. Um, Religion never works. It never works. And I want to tell you why it never works. Religion leads to either pride or it leads to despair. One or the other. And what I mean by that is religion, as defined by the modern critique, using God to accrue Uh, self-righteousness, power, social exclusion, through our performance. When, When we are performing correctly and we believe that Jesus came solely as a model to be followed. And by the way, this is what religious people want you to believe, is that Jesus came as a model to be followed. Meaning, uh, Jesus was love and so... For God to love us, we need to love like Jesus loved. Jesus was kind. And so for us to have uh, favor with God, we need to be as kind as Jesus was. Jesus was, um, let me find another one that would be typical, a forgiver. And so for us to find God's favor, we need to forgive like Jesus forgave. Now, 
if we follow that mentality and we believe that through our performance, through what we do, through how many times we read the Bible or pray in a day or how often we go to church, we believe that God gives us a thumbs up based on that alone. What happens is we become proud people. We, be, we, we begin to look down at everyone who isn't as religious as we are because God doesn't love them as much as he loves us, right? Because we do more than they do. Or, on the other hand, it leads to despair because you've tried over and over and over and over again and you have failed over and over and over again. You've tried to forgive and you can't. You've tried to be kind and you're just a mean person. You've tried to love and you're just a mean person. You see what I'm saying? And you're just like, I, you know, I, I, I wanted to go to church every Sunday and I slept in. I went once, I fell asleep during the sermon, and then I slept in every other uh, week after that. I failed. God must not love me. I've tried to pray. I wanted to pray every day. And again, I fell asleep halfway through my prayer. Like, we, we fall asleep a lot, don't we? Let's be honest. <laughs> sleep is our problem. That's our number one issue when it comes to our spiritual walk is sleep. We fell asleep. I, I couldn't keep track of my thoughts. I, I, I lost my thought. You know, I'm praying, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking about this thing over here. And I failed. I failed. And, and so, therefore, because I failed, God must not love me very much. How can he? When I've walked away so many times, when I've forgotten so many times, when I've lived the kind of life that I've lived, I've failed. And it leads to despair, guilt. So religion, whether you are successful at religion or whether you are not successful at religion, it leads to either pride or despair. It never works. It never works. Okay, so here's John's response in verse 27. To this, John replied, A man can only, re- only receive, a man can receive only, sorry, a little dyslexic, what is given to him from heaven. <clears throat> you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. So John is saying that I've always, you know, ever since I've been preaching this gospel of repentance, Ever since I've been baptizing you in the way of repentance, I have been telling you over and over and over that I am not the Christ. I'm not, and in their mind, by the way, Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. He wasn't in the, he wasn't in the phone book under Christ. Christ is a title. It's an ancient messianic title in which the, the, the people of God, Israel, the Jewish people were looking forward to the Christ another word for Messiah. And so when they call him the Christ, or they come to John and and his disciples say, we think you might be the Christ all along. John has been saying, I am not the Christ. I'm pointing to one coming who is the Christ. I'm a voice in the wilderness crying out that there is one coming who I'm not even worthy to untie his shoe. The Christ is, 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 is coming. So I've always, been, I've always been telling you that, he said. And then in verse 29, the bride, he says, he, he begins to use this ancient Jewish uh, picture of a bride and groom. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens 
for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The picture that John is painting for us right here is this image of a best man, John the Baptist, his friend, waiting for the groom to come and take, take his bride. And here's the image that he, that he paints for us. The, the bride and the groom, they're running through the crowd, right? And everybody's got their little bubbly thing. And they're making... <laughs> it's this, like, amazing thing, you know? Like, there's eight bubbles floating in the air, which those things never work, by the way. Let's go back to rice. I know it kills the birds, but it doesn't matter. It looks better. They're running through the crowd, and the bubbles and the rice is flying up in the air. And all of the attention, all of the eyes now, all of the attention is now on who? It's on the groom, right? And the bride. (laughs) I'm just going to stop there so I can, yeah. All of the attention is this direction. And nobody's looking back to the church steps where leaning up against the door is the best man with a smile on his face. Right? And all along now, the best man, the friend of the groom, he's been like, he had the attention at one time. Everybody was looking at him at one time. Everybody was listening to him. As he said, everybody, listen, the groom's about to come. Are you all ready? Is everybody in place? You know, everybody be seated. It's about to happen. This, uh, this amazing event that we've been looking forward to is about to happen. And he has had all of the influence and all of the attention, the prestige, the power, if you would. Everybody has been looking to him, listening to his voice. But now, as the groom has come and he's taken his bride and they've run through the crowd and they're hopping in the back of the limo and the the camera lights are flashing one last time. And here's the, the best man leaning up against the church doors just with a smile on his face. Is he at all envious or jealous? Of course not. Because all along, it hasn't been about him. All along, he's been wanting people to be prepared for when the groom comes. It's always been about the groom. And so now, as more and more people are turning their attention this direction, he is just elated with joy. And he says, actually, in, in uh, the next line, that he says, that joy is mine, and it is now complete. This sense of just, my job is done. Like, this is what I came to do. And I'm just like, I am not upset that people are now looking to the groom. I'm not upset that he is having more attention than I am. Actually, it's the reverse. My joy is complete. I I have never been happier in my life. Because now people are looking to the one that I've been pointing out all along. You know a religious person because religious people don't have joy. Religious people never have joy. How can you? If you're filled up with pride because you've been doing everything else and you're looking down on everyone else because they're not your religious peers or your moral peers, how can you have joy? 
Or if you're filled with despair because I'm just, I can't do enough. I'm, I'm never good enough. You don't have any joy. But John the Baptist has found something beyond that. It's not pride. He never sought pride. He never sought to be the center. He never wanted the crowds. And it's certainly not despair. He's not upset about this in any way. John has found something beyond this. And what he's found has brought him complete joy. Like he's completely happy. There is no greater joy than knowing Jesus and making him known. There's no greater joy than that. I mean, last week we talked about suffering. Why is it that all of these people chose to suffer? Paul, why did he choose to suffer? Why? It's because they're finding a greater joy in bringing glory to Christ. It's so much better than trying to bring glory to ourselves. Have you guys ever seen the movie Elf? You guys, uh, this just popped in my head. You guys know that part in, where uh, the elf, he, he's, he's there, um, this is with, with Will Ferrell, by the way. Very, anyways, funny dude. He's in his little store there working, and uh, the boss says, everybody get ready, 9, 9 a.m., Santa's coming. And, and Will Ferrell's like, Santa! <laughs> he's like, wow! He's, I know him! Remember that? I know him! <laughs> you know? Like, this is going to sound really weird, but I've been feeling like that lately. Not about Santa. <laughs> I was just telling a friend of mine this last week, and I told Keisha as well. Not that Keisha's not my friend. It was I, was just telling, I was just telling two friends this last week. Um, that as, I, as I've, been reading, uh, I've been reading the Gospel of John, and as I'm reading through John and other Gospels, and I'm, I'm reading like, here's in chapter 4 in John, he talks with the Samaritan woman. And she asks, uh, he, he asks her if she'll give him a drink, and they have this conversation and Jesus says, by the way, I am the living water. And, and she, who, she wasn't religious at all. She was irreligious. And she had seven different husbands. And the one that she was currently with was not her husband. You, you know this story. And, and Jesus embraces her in that. And, and then she, she, she repents and she goes. And, and then all of, all of a sudden she's in her town. And by the way, I was driving through Pennsylvania once. And I saw this church, and the, on, on the front of the church, there was a sign, and a big sign that said, now enrolling new members. And I thought, that's just odd. It's just a weird way to say it, now enrolling new members. Oh, I'm going to hop on in there and sign on up. It's like the YMCA, you know? We're giving half off our membership fee. Um, I didn't know you were enrolling now. But, you know, it's like, so for this woman... Uh, the Samaritan woman, who's she's running to her community, is she like starting this institution and saying, hey, we're now enrolling new members? Of course not. Her life has just been changed by this interaction she's just had with Christ, and she's going, and all she can do is just tell her friends about it. Like, this guy just changed my life. He's just transforming. Anyways, as I've been reading through this, and, and then here in chapter 5, Jesus is healing at the pool, and 
And then in chapter 6, he feeds 5,000. What I've been like, uh, what, what's been hitting me, and this might just seem weird to you, but as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, I know him. Like, I really know him. Like, I was actually just talking to him this morning, you know? And he, this Jesus who is walking on the water in the middle of chapter 6, knows me. He actually, the same dude, like, actually knows me. And I've just been blown away. It's like you're watching a movie and... And you love this movie, and you love this character, and he's your favorite character, and then all of a sudden you remember, wait a second, I know him. I know that guy. We were just chatting this morning. And what I'm saying is this, is in, in knowing Jesus, he's, in knowing Jesus, as John says in uh, verse 29, I think it is, uh, he, He's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Like John is having this same kind of feeling, like, I know him. This is the Christ that we've been looking forward to all along, that Abraham and David and Moses and Hosea and all of these people were pointing towards. This is him, and I know him. And to make him known, to see other, everyone else, all the, all the people who used to look at me, to see them now turning to him. There's no greater joy. My, my joy is completely complete. Completely complete in that. I'm filled with joy. I'm completely whole. Completely whole. The, the point of, of anyone... Well, let me even make this broader... Why does anybody exist? Why are we here? The reason, the reason you are here, the reason God has, has you in the world, the reason God has you here living in Baltimore, the reason God has you here at this rec center this morning is for this next line right here. This is such a huge line. If you guys can all look at verse 30 in your Bibles. This is how he, he ends this, John the Baptist. He says, he must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, and I must become less. He, Jesus, must increase, and I must decrease. He must be inflated, and I must be deflated. And in that, in this place where we are becoming less, and Jesus is becoming more. There is so much joy to be found. And this is the opposite of religion. Religion exists to make, to make us greater. Religion exists to increase us, to add something to our life, to puff us up, to make us better, to make God like us more. This is the gospel spirituality is completely different. It's the story of redemption. It's the story that we, ha we have never been good enough. And we will never be good enough. If Jesus came simply to be a model, as a model to be followed, so Jesus is God's, if He came 
as God's fullest expression of a human being, and, and he is then to be a model, a model to be followed, and we, are, we find approval with God through following Jesus alone, then it would have been better if he never came. It would have been better if he never came, if Jesus just came to be a model, because we would all be damned if that's his only reason for coming. But if Jesus came not just to be, not just as a model to be followed, but if he came as that one pure sacrifice who's come to, to embrace us and to redeem all of us who can never live up, we can never love as much as Jesus loved. We can never forgive as much as Jesus forgave. We can never be as kind as Jesus was. And we can never be as much of a troublemaker as Jesus was. Some of you. That, that one maybe, maybe some of you can. But Jesus did not come simply as a model to be followed. He came as this, this the, the Christ, the sacrifice, the one who was coming into the world to bring ultimate redemption. And there is no greater joy in him becoming greater and us becoming less. Jesus increasing and us decreasing. The, the, the goal of every one of you and, and myself should be that, that less and less people look and listen to you and more and more people look and listen to Christ. As, as a pastor, my greatest joy will be when, when you guys are listening to me less and you're listening to Jesus more. You're looking to me and my life less because, guys, I am just like you, right? Like if somebody, somebody actually did, did mention this to me once as far as religion goes and Christianity and stuff. I'm like, so, uh, so you're a Christian, but you're no better than I am. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm worse. <laughs> like, you don't even know, dude. You don't know what goes on in here. You know, the point isn't that, that that's not the point. But we're pointing to Christ who has embraced us in our sin, in our fallen state. He has come and he has placed his arms around us and he's pulled us tight. And he said, you are mine because of nothing you've done. Simply because of my own work for you. That's the gospel. That's gospel spirituality. And that is what we as a community embrace. I'm hearing more and more stories. The last two months within the garden have just been phenomenal. Like, I'm seeing God move in our community in ways that I never have before. I mean, God is, like, seriously on the move. Do you guys, do you guys know uh, C.S. Lewis's Narnia series, The um, Lion, the Witch, and the War Wardrobe? I love that line where one of the characters says, Aslan is on the move. Like, everything's going to be okay because Aslan's on the move. And I'm feeling that within the garden. God is on the move. Something's happening. God is moving. It's not, just, it's not just me speaking on Sundays or you guys in house communities or serving throughout the week or whatever, but like there's something happening and, and God is on the move in this little budding community. I'm hearing stories of just radical generosity where, where you guys are leaning on each other and helping each other like never before. 
You're serving the community like never before. You're giving up time so you can be working or studying or doing whatever you do to, to love the community around us. Taking an entire Saturday to go and learn more about human trafficking because God is on the move in us. Is, is there someone here who is so filled with pride because you've done everything right? You've got all of the right answers. You know everything. And you are like a story that I heard uh, of this dude who was sharing Christianity with an unbeliever, non-believer, unbeliever, unbeliever, and uh, you know, he, he gave him every argument that he could possibly think of to prove that Christianity was, was true. And uh, after weeks and weeks of meeting, he looks at this, his friend, who, who doesn't, still doesn't believe, and he says, I have done, like, I've given you everything I've got. Like, I gave you every argument. I shattered every one of your counter-arguments for Christ. Uh, what, is, what is it? Like, what do you need to believe? Why, why are you still not believing? And he looks at his friend and he says... It's not your arguments that I have a problem with. It's you that I have a problem with. I don't want to be like you. I mean, is there anyone here who is so religious and you're proud and you've got it all figured out? You've got the answers. You're living the right life. You're moral. And the reality is, is you're so filled with hate, anger, judgmentalism. And the world will look at you and say, you know what? It's not your beliefs that I have a problem with. It's not your lifestyle I have a problem with. I just don't like you. Or is there anyone here on the flip side who's just so filled with despair and guilt because you've tried over and over and over again and you failed over and over and over again? And you, even though you hear these stories of grace and you read about it in the Bible, you just have to wonder if God really does love you. Is there anybody here who has simply been, been jaded and disillusioned by religion? And you're ready to walk away from it, to forsake religion, and to embrace the simplicity of Jesus Christ who took all of our sin every single time we fail every time we 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 say we're going to try harder and we screw up again you guys remember the true love waits movement those of you who grew up in the church in the 90s I'm not going to get into too many stories about the True Love Waits movement, but there was a, with a crowd that I was in at the time, this, this puffing up, if you would, of those who still had their virginity. I've kept my virginity. And you know what they did? They looked down on everyone else who didn't. And those who didn't, felt so stinking guilty. Like they're marred. They're never going to be good enough. 
They hear all these stories of purity, and this is what guys want, this is what girls want, and they're never going to be good enough because they've lost it. And that breeds despair and guilt. And we wonder, does God truly love us? Does he really love us? Because I've screwed up. I've made mistakes. It's so simple. It's so simple. We make it, religious people, us, (laughs) we make it so complex, don't we? One of the things that's been cool over the last two months is I've seen people accept Christ. I was sharing uh, with one person who's recently started coming to the garden, and, and and she came to Christ, and she said, before, like, it was so complex in my mind. Like, all of these things that I had to do, and... And I just, you know, different religions and different ways to do church and different denominations. And I was just so confused. And then she was like, it's just, it's all about Jesus. That's it. It's about the fact that Jesus took all of my brokenness and my sin on him and paid the price. And through his death and through his resurrection, I can have life. That's it. It's amazing. And so here we are as a people, and we're we're asking God to use us uh, to, to point everything that we do, to point to Christ, that we may become less, that we may decrease, and Christ may increase. We're going to take some time. And I just want to reflect on all of this. And guys, if, if you are moving away from this religion where you're proud or irreligion where you're guilty and you need to find this love and forgiveness and grace in Christ, I ask that as we take communion today, that you come and make it your first communion. Come and, and partake in the, in the blood of Christ, the death of Christ. Renew the covenant. And for those of us who, you know, some of us have to repent of sin, some of us have to repent of religion. For those of us, we, we know that we've pointed fingers. We know that we've looked down on others who are not our religious and moral peers. Can we make sure that everything is okay with us and God and with us and our brothers and sisters before we take communion today? If if you have animosity with a brother or sister, you've been pointing down at somebody, you've been holding over their head the fact that you're better than them, can you commit to making that right before you come this morning?